experience Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania in 3D. Scott Lang, you have a daughter. You're an Avenger. But out here, you're out of your league. On February 17th. Kang's a monster. He can shatter existence. An Avenger. I don't care what he can do. I'm getting us home. Must face a conqueror. You may not want her to watch this. <laughs> I'm sorry, Cassie. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Experience it in 3D. February 17th. Rated PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13. Hi, and welcome to Deep Dive with Jamie Stein, where we take a deep dive look at all things reality TV, pop culture, and the world at large. I'm an intuitive and an empath, which means I pick up on the thoughts, feelings, and energy percolating in other people and the world around me. I believe there is meaning waiting to be found at every turn, if you're willing to see it. So join me as we dismantle everything from trash TV to high spiritual concepts and learn more about ourselves, each other, and how we're all connected. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Deep Dive with Jamie Stein. I'm so excited about today's guest, who I'm sure a lot of you listening to this already know. I am here with podcast extraordinaire, comedian, writer, and I would go so far as to say intuitive in her own right, Lara Marie Shane Halls. Welcome to my podcast. Hi, it's so good to be here. It's the first time I've ever been introduced as an intuitive and you know, I'll take it. Well, you know that I I feel that you tend to tap into some sort of field, I feel like in your podcast where you do end up channeling information that comes to fruition. Yeah, that's happened quite a bit, actually. And so um, I'm just excited to see where it leads from here. Yeah, it's like you you either have the gift or you don't, right? <laughs> it's true, <laughs> and I mean, I mean, I know you're you're somewhat joking, but it, it is funny because it's like people a lot of times will ask me, well, how do I develop my intuition, or you know, how do I sort of move forward with this? And I do think a huge part of the answer is that you have to be willing in a way to take it seriously and you have to be willing to trust the information that comes and you have to just be willing to own it for yourself. So, um, mm-hmm. I do feel that you, uh, tend to tap into things. Um, I know people who listen to your podcast already know this, but you guys did. And just to, for anyone who doesn't know Lara already, she hosts what I consider to be the definitive Vanderpump Rules podcast, sexy, unique podcast, Run, don't walk to it if you haven't already checked it out. And that podcast also kind of has different iterations and alter egos where you'll um, recap other shows. So you did two seasons of Real Housewives of New Jersey as Tough Sicilian Bitches. Right now you're recapping the first season of Rock of Love as Insatiable Bitch Goddesses. So there's a whole kind of um, like portfolio of shows that fall under the sexy, unique podcast umbrella. But you guys last year in like November of 2019 started talking about this psychic's prediction about what was to come in 2020 and that she saw a virus. And you guys kind of really riffed on it and started talking about like the importance of getting the flu vaccine. And it became this sort again, it was in a joking way, but it really did become this sort of prophetic omen that really came to fruition. It totally did. And I still get listeners and like 
newbies to the podcast who will go back into the archives and then have this like mind blowing experience where they're like, Lauren Carey predicted COVID and then email me about it. So I love that discovery process for them. Yeah. And I also, what I love about that too, as a principal is just like, cause this happens to me a lot too. And actually it's interesting because in the same way that I feel your intuition is somehow linked to your creative energy. What I notice a lot is sometimes I'll get in a goofy mood and I'll be joking around with a friend. And in my mind, I think I'm just riffing, but then I'll say something that actually does like later come to fruition or, you know, it, 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 like they're like, oh no, you're actually like, you're making a kind of a off color joke about that friend. But what you don't know is that that actually is true of the friend. And so I love when like seeds get, I love when you don't even know that you're tapped into something and just be by virtue of kind of maybe being a little bit um, loose or just sort of giving permission to the energy that's moving through you, it actually does give way to information that you don't even know is information at the time. Totally. My favorite way of doing that, and I think it gets to happen on Sexy Unique Podcast in particular a lot. And actually, even now that I think about it, it happens on my podcast, Saving Sex in the City 3, where it's just like that podcast is just total riffing on my end, like I plan nothing and then just kind of go wherever a story takes us. But I feel like I've been able to tap into things with guests that some iteration of that ends up happening either like in the news or on like Instagram or something. And so that's my favorite. It is creativity is my gateway to all my psychic abilities. Well, I love that for you. And it's almost like I get these images for you if, it's almost like if I were working with you as a client, it's like, how would we support you to actually consciously cultivate that? And it's like, I almost get these images of you writing these like fun little stories for people, you know, where they like come to you with a problem and, you know, you sort of put it into a story or you put it into like a comedic sketch or you put it into a riff and then just see sort of what comes through and like, let that sketch just be a metaphor or something like that. Yeah, that resonates for sure. All right. Well, just know that I, I truly support your uh, creative, intuitive uh, energy. And it's my wish and hope that, uh, yeah, you continue to cultivate it consciously and bring it to the world. The world needs it. The world needs all of our gifts right now. Thank you. I agree. And I look forward to absolutely continuing this creative gravy train. (laughs) So we are here today to dig a little bit into this past season, season 10 of R-H-O-B-H, and perhaps even into the state of the entire franchise of Beverly Hills as well. Um I don't know where you stand in relationship to the show at this point, but I felt a call to kind of dig into it a little bit deeper because I had such a strange experience of this past season where on the one hand, I did find myself engaged by what was happening. It felt like there was a lot going on. I found myself excited to tune in every week. I felt like there were high stakes. You know, we had salacious sex rumors. You know, Denise Richards' marriage was on the line. The women were clearly emotionally invested in what was going on. You know, on a surface level, we were certainly getting lots of fights. And then at the same time, when everything was said and done, and I turned around and looked at, like, the total sum of the season over the course of, what, like, 18 episodes, I just couldn't for the life of me fully understand what I had just watched. Like, it felt like this sort of tornado that moved through my living room where there were tons of feelings involved, but I just can't quite put my finger on like, 
what exactly was the journey here? Like, what was this about? What was at stake on a deeper level? Like, I feel like even just going back to the past, for example, like season three, and I'm assuming you've watched all of Beverly Hills. Yes or no? I've watched um, almost all of it. There, during like the Kim Richards years, I was pretty up to speed. Mm -hmm. And then I took a break. I think when the newer cast members, like when Dorit and uh, Erica Jane came on, and I think there was a season where, there was like Pantygate or something mm -hmm. like that. I didn't watch that. And I tapped out for a few seasons and I heard that it, the show had gotten boring or blah, blah, blah. And then I tapped back in during Puppygate and I was compelled. And I like, I don't think I've ever not been compelled by Real Housewives of Beverly Hills because simply from like a wealth perspective and like lifestyle perspective, I find it extremely like intriguing and aspirational to watch <laughs> because they do that really well on that show it is true um it, it truly it boasts wealth i am intrigued by it i don't know that i find the lifestyles necessarily i find the amount of money aspirational not necessarily yeah. the way it's spent um but you get to see it spent in a lot of different ways like every woman has like her own style or like brand going on in a way that they like exploit their wealth um so i like seeing that as opposed to like new york where it's like oh they're very like wealthy but it's not as showy it's just like you know it's like run-of-the-mill wealth like i want to see just like trashy wealth that's like very much celebrated by the people spending the money and is there a woman on the show whose use of wealth is most enjoyable to you i guess like off the top of my head i would just say i think like lisa vanderpump's is enjoyable and that i would never have the kind of aesthetic that she has like her aesthetic is very confounding and confusing but then i like also that she has like you know 20 dogs at one time and like the animal element is really great i think erica james is probably like the way that i would want to spend that kind of money if i had access to it i sometimes wish that erica jane gave us more of a glimpse of the world of pasadena um because mm -hmm. i feel like people have given her crap for living in pasadena like the fact that she's not actually in los angeles but you know pasadena there's a lot of history there there's a lot of wealth there um it's gorgeous yeah in pasadena no it's like she has you can have like there's these like older estates and it's like very it has like more of an old money glamorous feel Exactly. And sometimes I wish she were like more involved with like the Pasadena Chamber of Commerce or I don't know, bring <laughs> in some of her Pasadena, you know, lady friends into the mix. Cause it feels like there's this whole world there that could be tapped into that's not uh, currently exploited on the show. Yeah. A real Housewives of Pasadena like spinoff. I wouldn't be mad at it. I wouldn't be mad at it either. And I actually feel like that might be a more organic place for Erica Jane at this point in terms of like, actually bringing something to the show other than just Erica Jane, um, which, you know, I, I have a feeling we'll get into that probably in a few moments. But but what I was going to say earlier, though, it's like if you think back to something like season three, right, where there was this whole rivalry between Brandy and Adrian, and it's like, you know, 
you know, Brandy was loyal to Lisa Vanderpump and Adrian tried to get her kicked off the show. So then Brandy fights back by spilling the beans about the surrogacy. So Adrian fights back with a lawsuit. And I just felt like watching, I was like, I clearly understand what I'm watching here. It's like, there's a power struggle. Brandy's fighting with her big mouth. Adrian's fighting with her money. I understand how it's dividing the group and people are falling on different sides. It's like, it reverberates in this very clear way. Whereas for me, by contrast, this season, it's like, even when I try to start feeling into it, and that's why I think it might be interesting to like literally dismantle it woman by woman to see kind of what mm-hmm. what this conflict was about for each of them. But even when I start to feel into the season, I just like, <laughs> like I literally get a little overwhelmed. Like it just feels like this big sort of dust cloud that is hard for me to like penetrate or feel into or to even understand just what was going on here on such a fundamental level but let me check in with you like where are you at with the season it sounds like you actually found it to be a very engaging and intriguing ride um I was fascinated by it but I do feel like it things got really repetitive after a while like and I guess that's one of the pitfalls of Beverly Hills that I hear, especially in like the past seasons where the women focus in on one really minute thing and just like ring it out for Mm -hmm. all it's worth. And so I saw that at play, but it was kind of what wasn't happening. That was the most interesting. And like the secrets, things that were being like held back from us as an audience, like, and especially when it came to Denise and Aaron, that was like the most fertile ground for me for sure and i mean denise seeing denise backed up against a wall and watching her usual control mechanisms not work and then seeing her have to deal with that on the stage of the show definitely was the thing that i found most interesting um but it was kind of like all the drama that organized around it that i found certainly repetitive, but also confounding and confusing, like what each woman's investment and kind of sticking it to her, in fact, was about. Yeah. Like I didn't understand Lisa Rinna's motivations at all mm-hmm. because they started out the season being friends, right? And they have been friends allegedly for years. So yeah. it seemed very strange that Rinna is all all of a sudden like really coming for Denise. And I feel like her motivations are probably what can I do to make a good show? And so it's less about, I don't think she has a lot like alliances or I feel like she probably separates like whatever happens on camera versus real life. It's like, we're making a show and we're trying to make like the juiciest show possible. So she'll just like execute. You can count on her to execute whatever is going to make for that juiciness. It was wild to see such like a seasoned showbiz professional like lose complete control of the situation and not be able to understand how she comes across on camera because you don't think of Denise as being you like I just never would think that she would let herself be seen doing such a piss poor job of lying to everyone well, I think that was definitely one of the most revealing things to me, uh, for me over the course of the season. And I actually rewatched a few key scenes last night just to kind of brush up on the season before this. And it was interesting to go back and watch some of the earlier scenes 
from the point of view of seeing how horrible a liar she became towards the end. Because to me, it was almost comical. Like, she was comically bad at lying. Yeah. Um, it was like the kind of lying where you're like, just stop now. Like, now would be the point to just, <laughs> like, don't talk about it anymore or, like, reroute. But it's like she couldn't help herself but continue the lie. And it, she, it felt like she's tr- trying desperately to hide something but i'm like what are you really trying to hide here like i don't understand like the jig's up at this point yeah there's so many like for me reverberations of this conversation as far as denise goes but yeah i mean the the first thing i'll say is just by the end of the season it did make me realize like oh you are deeply deeply split like the, it, she feels almost young to me you know mm-hmm. in this place where it's like kind of like what you're saying there's no sort of self-awareness as to how she is sort of navigating the situation in a way that hurts her rather than helps her. There's no real self-awareness of how she's coming off. There's no self-awareness as, how, as to how she's just sort of digging a hole deeper and deeper. Um, and so that's why I say it just feels like there's this deep, deep, deep split in her. And I think what's interesting about what you just said about Lisa Rinna is like, I start to wonder if part of the reason why the season was such a um, mystery to me and perhaps part of the reason why Beverly Hills feels like it's been struggling uh, for several seasons, because this may be true of the last few seasons, is was all of this just truly about the show and the mechanics of the show and being on the show? Because if I think about like, okay, like I'm thinking about this as like a screenplay because I used to be a script consultant and whatnot. So I work mm-hmm. with writers. So if I'm deconstructing this, like I'm deconstructing a screenplay, right? To me, there's a core conflict at the heart of each story that everything is like germinating from so to me the core conflict here is denise right and it all starts at this barbecue you know that she hosts where there's these comments made about you know the threesomes and whatnot and you know i did drop into when that episode first aired i dropped in and you know what was going on for denise in this and i basically got exactly what lisa rena ended up saying which was just like denise felt embarrassed you know, by last season, like that there is this split in her. Like you asked, like, why is she so controlled? Like, I do think there's a real split in her around what it means to be this sexually free wild thing and what it means to be a good wife and mother and kind of a respectable woman. And actually what I noticed last night is she actually talked about um, in Santa Barbara coming from like a conservative Catholic background where she was supposed to be good so to me it would make sense that there's this compartmentalization between like who i'm supposed to be and sort of this inner wildness and so i feel like what i got off her is okay i'm really embarrassed by what i let slip last season i want to rein it in i want to cultivate a different image and this is where i was really kind of um, watching it through the lens of having gotten to the end of the season of understanding now this is kind of a really emotionally immature woman in a lot of ways. Like there's something really young and split in her. So I honestly think in Denise's mind, there's something going on here about like, I just got to present a certain image, you know, and when these women are talking about like the sex stuff at the table, it really is sort of panicking her and triggering her in a place where she wants to control the narrative. And in that place, the truth is she was charged. She was triggered. She was um, judging the other women, you know, from that place of wanting to present a certain face herself. 
And when the other women picked up on that, she just wanted to shut it down. And which is her MO. And to me, it just feels like that place where she wanted to control her image. And then she wanted to just truly shut down anything that went against that image. That to me is like the nucleus of this season, right? It's the thing that all the other women had issues with. And it's the thing that everything got organized around. Which true. Ultimately, I mean, yes, it is about Denise. And it is. It reflects Denise's psychological split and her need to control. And it's also very much about the show. Yeah. And her not having or her navigating a world in which she doesn't have control necessarily over her image or how she's presented. Because even on her own reality show, Denise Richards, it's complicated. Now streaming on Hulu, I'm pretty sure. She still was in the driver's seat because it's a show about her, you know what I mean, and revolving around her. So I'm sure she had a lot more say of what gets shown and what doesn't and kind of what the narrative is. And this is her first experience in being like, oh, the narrative is whatever I put out there that can then be warped or used against me in some way. And, like, that probably freaked her out, and she just, like, didn't know how to deal with that, ultimately. Right. And this is a woman who seems like she's gotten a lot of mileage out of, mm-hmm. you know, telling ridiculous lies and just shutting things down. And in- has had, like, a wild life. Like, was married to Charlie Sheen and has, like, kids with him. So she's not, like, that innocent of a human being. But even in that, if you look at that, the split is there, right? Because yes, absolutely. She was married to Charlie Sheen. And it's so interesting that if you watch the way that she kind of positions herself in relationship to that, it is as, oh, I'm the normal sane one who protected my kids from this, got out of it. Like I can always feel there's this mileage she gets out of presenting herself as like I was kind of the cool, calm, collected, normal one who got out of this chaotic, wild, crazy situation. And I think she does really like to kind of um, unconsciously alienate in other people who are kind of a little unhinged. Like I've seen her do that since last season. I remember like at the last reunion the way that she kind of kept going in on Camille, like, because Camille was unhinged last reunion. And I remember mm-hmm. yeah. Denise would not drop it. And I, I, I just kind of remember sitting there being like, Denise, like, what are you doing? Like, you see this woman is acting crazy. You see she's not in her right mind. So if you are truly the sane, stable one here, there's just a certain point where you back off and you let her do her thing. And there was this way that she kept going in. Going in. And I saw her do it to Kyle this year, too. Like, because Kyle was kind of off her rocker at the beginning of the season. Yeah. And Denise wouldn't let it go. And even at that Santa Barbara dinner that I think kicked off a lot of this stuff, I, when I was rewatching it, I forgot. Kyle did actually apologize to Denise at that dinner. She was like, I, that's what started the whole conversation. She's like, I want to apologize okay. for my behavior. And Denise, if you go back and watch that, she would not let it go. She kept, and I don't even like Kyle, but I was like, damn, Denise is going in and going in. And I think there is this part of her that kind of likes to poke reactive people because it allows her to in some way disengage from her own reactivity, her own wildness, her own unhinged woman or person. Mm-hmm. And feel superior at the same time. Mm-hmm. It, exactly. She gets to kind of dance with the devil, but not 
be the one who people point the finger at calling the devil. Yeah. But okay. What do you make though? I think all of what you're saying is totally on point, but then I think there's like an underlying issue of their. I felt like there had to be some sort of legal stuff going on between her and Charlie that gets alluded to in the very first episode of the season, like where, or there was an episode where like Erica Jane, her husband and Denise, like talk about Denise needs a lawyer to like fight Charlie for something. And then we never followed up with any of that again. And I thought in the back of my mind, like maybe Denise is trying not to appear so sexual on camera because she's in the midst of like some sort of custody battle or like her livelihood in some way depends on being like a little more buttoned up or whatever. So that's what she's like fighting tooth and nail to preserve this mommy image. Yeah. I mean, I would say even if that's true, I still like from a psycho spiritual spiritual perspective, I still think it'd be interesting though that I think it's interesting that she calls in like in the place where we create our own realities, which is something I subscribe to. You know, I think it's interesting that she's calling in a situation in that hypothetical situation where she's calling in a situation where in a way her very free spirit and sexuality is like on trial, you know, and then it's there's a way she has to monitor herself for public consumption. And then I still think the way that she was triggered and charged around it at the barbecue uh, still speaks to like a deeper inner conflict in her because she could be going through that court stuff. I mean, really, all she would really have to do, especially for someone like her, who we now know is not shy about breaking the fourth wall. All she has to do is say, guys, like I'm in the middle of a custody battle with Charlie, can we please like, you know, cut the sex talk for right now? And I'm sure they all would have shut the hell up and understood. Yeah, that's I thought that, too. And maybe they've at a certain point, Denise, I think she definitely just stopped playing ball at a certain point because she kind of like tapped out. But I'm also just like, what a missed opportunity, because Denise is someone I think who has a lot of fans and then a lot of fan forgiveness. Like if she was to come back next season and have like a if she could rise from the ashes yeah like I would be so down with that well this leads to a deeper question for me which is like can someone like Denise Richards ultimately make I want to say for good television I mean I think in some I think in some ways she made for good television this season but it's also like in the place and I this is why I was glad to see Lisa Vanderpump go it's like in the place where she wants to control the narrative and in the place mm-hmm. where she's going to shut things down, even though the other women truly just like beat a dead horse with this. And I think each one was caught up in her own little drama around it. I do understand. It's like in that place where Denise is just going to shut shit down when she doesn't want to deal with it anymore. It's like literally the energy in the group just stops and it comes to a yeah. standstill. And I feel like essentially what Denise is saying to them subtextually is like, drop it, let's forget it and move on, which I'm able to do because that's my MO in life. But from other people's point of view, it's like, no, we're an ensemble, we're a group. There's an energy that's moving. You just shut it down. And then you're also shutting down our response to being shut down. And now we're left with this stuck, stagnant energy, and we don't know really what to do with this. And so to me, it just kind of feels like the whole energy of the show just stops dead in its tracks. And it just leads me to wonder, can someone like Denise ever truly be good on a show like this, at least long term? 
Probably not because yeah, I think you have to have a level of hunger and willingness to go on a reality show in the first place. And you have to kind of be along for the ride in some aspects, like control freaks are just not going to have a great time on a reality TV show. And I don't think it's conducive to like that type of personality. And Denise is already a star in her own right. Like she doesn't need Beverly Hills to like, further her career if anything it's like kind of dampened it a little bit or tarnished it I mean I'm sure she'll like bounce back and she's fine but like I think you have to be you have to be a hungry team player and down for whatever and that I think is the best energy to bring to any reality tv show and I think Lisa also that's why she's she stopped being fun is because it's just like the veneers cracking. We all know like that you're full of shit, but you won't just be like, yeah, I'm full of shit. And like, fuck you guys and play with it or keep fighting. It's like people get so they like grip around themselves so tightly and aren't willing to like kind of admit mistakes or even play, play the villain or play into it. And that's where reality TV falls apart for a lot of people. Which Lisa, by the way? Vanderpump? Lisa Vanderpump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. hmm hmm And I think that, for me, is one of my concerns with Beverly Hills and why I wonder if it's in a major state of distress because I actually feel like you've got... I, I just... I can't help but feel that Beverly Hills in some ways in this major bind right now because I think The Real Housewives in general walks this line between a rotating cast that keeps things fresh and exciting over the years and also brand familiarity where, you know, you have your star anchors. And, you know, I think we've learned in the past, if you like, there really is a balance. If you mess with it too much, you kind of lose your audience. Um, And I feel like right now, you know, three, I would say of the main players who are really kind of like who bring on a surface level, I think a lot to the franchise. And I'm speaking here of like Erica Jane, Rinna, who, you know, stirs the pot, Dorit. Mm. They are people who are strongly identified with the show. They kind of are strongly identified with the brand. And yet all three of them, and then in this past season, in addition to Denise, and I would even say in a way, in addition to Teddy, they are people who I experience as very controlled and controlling who aren't willing to put it all out there. And it's like, they're only, there's sort of so much they're willing to give to the show. And Mm -hmm. I just continue to wonder, like, as long as there's such a huge corner of the cast that really is unwilling to just put it all out there in the way that a Kim Richards does and the way that even a, you know, a Kyle, you know, say what you want Kyle, about her. Yeah. She Love her, hater. She, yeah, she gives it all. She does. And so, yeah, it's like, for me, it's like, is, is Beverly Hills just in a bind right now that I can't get out of? Yeah, they definitely, they need more, they need more people that are willing to put it out there. Cause even Garcelle is like, I think she's pretty tightly wound. Mm-hmm. Or, like, I feel like she has a boundary as far as, like, I'll go this far. But, like, I don't think you're going to see Garcelle having, like, any sort of, like, foolish cringe moments that is what you tune into reality TV shows for. Yeah, and it's 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 interesting to even think about, like, um, 
Just what is the exact difference between, say, because if I go back to the first season, right, even someone like Adrienne Maloof, like, yeah, I get the sense maybe she's not sharing everything, but there's a way she showed up on the show and there were things that she was willing to share. I mean, mostly her marriage um, mm-hmm. that just felt like I'm I'm getting something here that's real. I'm getting something here that's raw. And you do in some way feel surrendered to the flow of the show. Or maybe it's just that she, maybe it's that people like her and even Camille who thought, I think in the first season that she was gaming the show. Maybe it's Mm -hmm. just that they don't have that self-consciousness that some of these other women do. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, what is that distinction? I don't know if you have any hits about that. I think it's just like, Finding people who feel really confident about their life and lifestyle and life decisions and who want, who want attention, but are proud to like share what they've learned in life and what their lifestyle is, is like the sweet spot. Like I think about my favorite moments or like shows and it was like Jersey Shore did that really well where you have just like this ragtag group of people that are like we've cracked the life code we live the best lives we are like unashamed and just like proud to gym tan laundry binge drink and like sleep with anyone who crosses our paths and like I think at the beginning of Beverly Hills you had all these different women Well, it was kind of like you had all these different women who believed that their individual lifestyles were fabulous. And it was like they get a lot of attention for that. But then they also get confirmation because the show is like filming them that they are fabulous. And then you had this one kind of like one or no, you had probably half fabulous women and then half like women in a sad state like you had Kim Richards, Taylor, who we found out later, her life is like not all it was cracked up to be. And Camille, who you watched basically the dissolution of her marriage. But it was a good mixture of that. And I feel like now you don't really have, I guess Beverly Hills doesn't really have like the people whose lives are in a sad state anymore. Mm -hmm. Like it's kind of all just like, we're so fabulous. We are wealthy, but like, yeah, where's the, where are the sad sacks? I think we need a couple, you have to have a couple like wealthy and fabulous, but sad people to make it work or just like there has to be like a totem pole. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And right now Beverly Hills feels very horizontal rather than vertical Mm -hmm. and when you say that what it reminds me of do you have you watched oc at all i've like tuned in and out but i'm not like caught up with it which i know i think is a mistake because every time i've watched it it's made me like cackle and vicky gunvalson is truly one of my favorite people in the world to watch on television you don't (laughs) understand that that to me is the most validating statement anyone could ever say i vicky gunvalson i don't know if you know this about me she is my number one favorite housewife of all time and people don't don't understand and they get shocked and offended i'm just like no she's hilarious she, everything she does everything but both both unintentionally and sometimes even intentionally like sometimes she's mm-hmm. got great comedic timing 
I, I mean, I'm about to go on a Vicky like total digression, but you know, I'll, I'll keep it short. But you know, what I love about Vicky too is like talk about somebody who put it all in front of the camera. Um, and this is what I love about the OC women. The OC women are not too big for their britches because, you know, they're not from New York City. They're not Beverly Hills. You know, they are in the OC. Like, this is what they've got going on. So it's like they put it all out there, which is why typically, not anymore, it's been my favorite franchise. And Vicky, though, just to watch her journey of like, you know, in the early seasons, just no self-awareness, so self-righteous, a total hypocrite. And then like by virtue of being on the show and just kind of getting like knocked down a peg, knocked down a peg, knocked down a peg, I think around like season seven or eight, I started noticing like, oh my God, she's starting to kind of like what you were saying about, she did what Lisa Vanderpump didn't do. She kind of pivoted a little bit and kind of leaned into, yeah, you know what? Sometimes I'm a raging hypocrite. I've got a strong point of view. Like I'm owning it. She kind of got more sarcastic and caustic rather than like on her high horse. And she became legitimately funny. Like I found myself laughing with Vicky on several occasions. So I just want to like, you know, state Vicky's case. I love that. I'm team Vicky for life. And (laughs) I think that that is like, I'm trying to think of any Beverly Hills cast member who's like cracked that code and I can't, but feel free to correct me. But I think that to, to ascend into like iconic Vicky levels, you have to just be willing to be like, like if Lisa had just been like, yeah, I lied about the puppy. Like I wanted to make Dorit look dumb. If she had just come forward and then kind of laughed about it, it's like what it just takes away all the power out of the situation. And then it also contextualizes it where you're like, this is so silly. Like why are any of us like caring about this? And you get to like, you just have to continue to like mentally game people and be okay with the fact that like, you're kind of going to look insane, but that's what you signed up for. Well, and it reminds me of like, you know, cause as someone who's never been a huge Lisa Vanderpump fan, I remember one of the few times I really liked her. I think this was actually back when they were writing blogs for bravo tv.com and she Mm -hmm. was like in the midst of her conflict with lisa rinna some like i think the munchausen season and which i guess you missed but i I remember that but i would go back and watch that because i was always like team rinna with munchausen you should go back. You should revisit. Well, visit. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a revisit. I will visit. Um, but um, I remember in one <laughs> in one of Vanderpump's blog, there had been some scene Rinna had where basically it was her getting waxed in her bedroom, and uh, you know Vanderpump just kind of shaded her in the blog, being like, "Oh yeah, it's like thrilling television to watch like Rinna like get her asshole waxed on her dirty like bedroom carpet floor." I don't know, but she said it in a wittier <laughs> way. But I was like, "This is actually like I I can get behind this if you're just gonna kind of be bitchy and own." it and like outright shade her as opposed to like you know just sort of the more underhanded stuff that she likes to do and then act like she's a concerned friend and act shocked when the shit hits the fan even though she was the one like stirring the pot in the first place i was like i could get behind elisa vanderpump who just owns what she's doing and who she is but those moments are very few and far between with her one of my favorite lisa vanderpump moments was when she had like put the she put the tabloids about Mauricio cheating on Kyle like she took them on their trip to Puerto Rico or something mm-hmm. it was the season where Joyce was there and then she got called out for it and she and Ken just like retreated to their hotel room and they were so furious and chaining cigarettes and I was like this is like the glimpse behind the curtain I've been waiting for of Lisa like 
She never smokes on camera. She and Ken are just like chain smoking and trying to like figure out what to do next. And I was like, there was a, such a real urgency there and like a humanity that I respected and admired. I think you have to be willing to look like an idiot sometimes. And I think what a lot of these reality TV people don't understand is that actually like humility is ultimately what's going to endear you most to viewers. So the person, I mean, yeah, if you fuck up really bad, if you come back to that reunion, like honestly willing to take ownership of what you've done and be like, yeah, you know, I did this. I was hurt. I wanted to hurt you. Like I realized this was wrong. I'm sorry. It's like, you will then become like a fan favorite for actually like showing that level of accountability. And it's, I just think, you know, the the double-edged sword of these shows is that these people become almost famous and celebrated for this mask they wear in the world. And then when that gets threatened, I think it's not just about their standing on the show or public perception. I think it's hitting them in really core wound places. So for someone like Elisa Vanderpump, who I, I've come to believe truly, I don't think she's remotely conscious of what she does. I think it is so unconscious and that's why she feels so victimized whenever anyone like points a finger at her. So it's like when these people do confront her with her negative intention, I think it hits her in that place where as a young girl, she did split around her experience of cruelty. Like that there was something in her that learned like, Oh shit, like I've got to guard and protect my heart. So let me just kind of compartmentalize it. And I'm going to kind of, you know, (laughs) you know, control the people around me and sort of exact a cruel agenda for my own sense of like power and pleasure. And if you kind of confront her there, it's like fight or flight, right? Because this isn't just about the show. It's also about the way this is reverberating you in a deeply personal level. Mm-hmm, totally. When you're when you're talking about that, I had like such a moment of Lisa and her mother. And I feel like there was some sort of, I think we've talked about this before too, but I feel like there was, that relationship was really difficult. And that's where she learned that like, all controlling kind of rule with an iron fist, but then also have like a lot of love to give mother element that she then enacts over everyone in her realm. Like she is, she's like the queen mother of her subjects, which are the people that work at her restaurant. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Um, well, two things. Yeah, I did. I remember that episode of VPR where, you know, she talked about her mother and the Rubik's Cube, right? And I remember... Her mother could do a Rubik's Cube and she was a member of Mensa, but that's like the best thing she had to say about her mom. And then it showed like an older picture. And I just got the sense that like they weren't that close or had a really complicated relationship. And it was kind of left at that. Yeah, for when you were talking, I was like, maybe this is like the dynamic that she experienced with her mother, that now she is performing on all those around her. Yeah, that's how I felt when she talked about how clever her mother was and the Rubik's Cubes and the Mensa. I remember getting this really deep intuitive hit of like, oh, like, yeah, this is where she learned it. It's like her mother was clever and she enacted that cleverness on Lisa. And now Lisa enacts that cleverness on others. But what I love about what you're saying, the connection I never drew is I love that, that, that connection between Lisa does position herself as the matriarch, as the mother hen. And it's, it's interesting to think of that through line of like how she's reclaiming 
the mother experience if we're in fact right that like she kind of learned all these tricks you know from her own mother it's interesting um what i was gonna say earlier though just to track back to oc the reason why i brought it up was even if you think about so first of all i just want to invite you if if you are ever needing a tv show like and i say this because there's so many people who don't watch oc and i'm just like you have got like at least 11 amazing seasons of tv in front of you should you choose to go down Mm -hmm. that road but you know it was the original it was the original franchise and yeah what made it work i realized part of what made it work as i heard you talk about kind of the totem pole is like that was the formula from the beginning i mean it, it was a show that initially started out as like okay these are women who are living aspirational lives behind the gates but it also had like it consciously included this uh woman named Lori who had previously lived behind the gates but then lost everything and was now living in like a shitty town home and she was literally Vicky's assistant like she had to work for Vicky in order to support oh, herself <laughs> and then there was this other woman named Joe who was like in her early 20s she was the one who was originally involved with Slade. I'm sure you've heard of Slade Smiley. Mm -hmm. And she was sort of like, he was sort of wanted to mold her into like an OC Stepford wife, but she was like young and rebellious. And um, so there was just kind of those colors and contrasts that you were speaking to in the different women. And then it also made me think, for example, of like the early seasons of New York and the role that kind of Alex and Simon played. And so I think that you're onto something. I think it's not even so much about like what the individual brings, but rather that template of like, do we have a good like cross section of sort of people where people fall on the social hierarchy or the totem pole? Yeah. And even I think about New York this season with bringing Leah in, she kind of was the underdog in a lot of ways, like, or the lowest on the totem pole who then clawed her way up. But it was, it really works for, it worked for this season. And then I don't know where we'll go without Dorinda, but Housewives of Beverly Hills, you're correct there. It's like a horizontal, there's no hierarchy, social or otherwise so it seems and i feel like the problem and I, i've been thinking about this a lot and hearing you speak i i'm now i am officially claiming a position on this it's a position okay. i've been reluctant to claim before now this is breaking news hot take i think that um i think basically these women have too much to lose and i fe- i'm gonna go on record as saying i don't think they should cast actresses anymore yeah i agree with that I felt that way for a long time. I, you know, Garcelle was making me hesitate because I did enjoy her this season. But like hearing you say, you know, truthfully, she didn't really bring much of herself. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, that is true. <laughs> she didn't really like put it all out there. And it's like, you know, it's another one. It's like all of these actresses who have these careers and these names before they come on the show. And I think, look, everyone's coming on the show to use it to a certain degree. But like, I think, yeah, what is the difference between a Kyle Richards and a Lisa Rinna? It's like, this really, this was Kyle Richards' claim to fame. So she's going to put everything into it. Even a Camille Grammer, this was her thing. So she's going to put everything into it. You have a Lisa Rinna come along or a Denise Richards and it's like, they, it's not their one thing and it is a tool and it is a vehicle for them. And I do think it immediately becomes a device of control rather than like, I'm willing to put everything into this. Yeah. Or they're playing a different game in the sense that like, 
someone like Lisa Rinna, she knows what to harp on to give you the conflict in the scene or something because she's an actress. That's like what she does. So maybe that's like when they started getting more actresses on the show, that's when it became like repetitive harping on like some seemingly very like mundane thing that would just get like rehashed over and over and over because it was like actors thinking about conflict in that way rather than like oh let's just move on or like the conversation will flow any which way i don't know exactly and let me ask you do you do you think that we have gotten the real rena no i don't think so I just think that she's acting like when she apologizes to Denise and then starts weeping and saying she needs to go to church and it's very dramatic. I was like, you're acting right now and it's fun to see, but it's also like, this isn't real. So here's my follow-up question though. Do you feel like that scene, for example, is that the, how do I say this clearly? Is that a role she's performing in her everyday life when the cameras are off and it's just that she's always acting and therefore in a way we are getting some semblance of the quote unquote real her or is she literally acting just for the cameras? It might be her in her day to day life. She's so intriguing to me because it's like, because she could sit here and say, well, what do you mean? Like I put it all out there. Look, I'm putting like, you know, my daughter's eating issues are out there. I bring my mother on the show. But even all of that, there's a way in which it just feels so like this is what I'm carting out before the camera in order to give you a glimpse of my life. And for me as a viewer, I'm always sort of sitting there trying to feel into like, is this the entirety of your life? And it's just that you yourself are so disconnected from the depth of your like deepest sort of inner workings that it just feels artificial to me or are there parts of your life in you that you are consciously keeping off the camera yeah I don't know I think I think it's maybe she's just been doing it for so long that this is who she is now well let me ask you this do you have a sense like who do you think Lisa Rinna is? Like, it, it, like I don't know if you get a sense of like, if I love to play the game of like tapping into someone's higher self or if Lisa Rinna were integrated, do you have any sense of who she is? I'm trying to like feel into it, but I kind of don't. The, only, the moment that stuck out the most to me this season with, in regards to Lisa was when Garcelle brought up her daughter's eating disorder. And I don't think Garcelle articulated it in, in the way that she, like, I think she brought up a really good point, but the way that it was articulated kind of got like lost in the shuffle where it's like, if you, if you had a mom like Lisa Rinna, who's like whole has been super fit her whole life, borderline, just like very, very thin, She's like body forward in a lot of ways. And you're like a young girl that is going to affect you some way, shape or form. Like there's just no way that when your mom or the leading female influences in your life have a certain way that they are about like food and bodies and stuff like that rubs off on you. And to see Lisa kind of 
eschew any responsibility for that and then have her daughter like have that scene with her daughter where she's like well garcelle said this and then her daughter's like well tell her i said fuck off or something like it felt i was like it feels like you're skirting around the issue or not willing to take any responsibility from like a parental standpoint for that yeah and there's just a way honestly that I feel like she does pimp her daughters out for story. And I feel that way about her mother. Yeah. Like I'm always uncomfortable when her like Lois is here and it's like, okay, cue the orchestra and like the, you know, the, the studio audience, like cheering. Like it just feels like you're trotting your mother. It's like dance monkey dance. Like you're trotting your cute mm-hmm. little mother out, you know, for the sake of the Telling cameras. her sob story, like her crazy life story and being like, ha ha. Anyways, exactly and it's like yeah exactly isn't this cute isn't this inspirational and then like she'll always post about her mother on instagram when her episodes airs and then yeah she's trotting out her daughters it just there's something about it that just feels so like yeah i will pimp out anyone for this and then i just start Mm -hmm. getting curious about like one who are you and two like what is your purpose in life you know, like what, what's the end game here for you? Because especially for someone like Rinna, it's like she had a certain amount of success as an actress, right? But certainly, you know, didn't, didn't land on like an established acting career where she was known, you know, as a talented actress. Um, and so then it became about, I think in a lot of ways, you know, just keeping the fame going, the endorsements, the QVC. And it's like, now she's just kind of got this three ring circus going where she's juggling all these balls in the air. And it seems like, you know, in her own words, she's like a hustler who hustles, but is like, is that just kind of the end and be all of it for Lisa Rinna? Like what, what, what is her purpose? Like, who is she? What, what's driving her every day? Yeah. And what is her legacy ultimately? It really feels like this feverish hustle. And like, that's kind of all it is. And if the hustle were to drop, what would she be left with? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like she will just hustle until the day she dies because that's like she came from nothing, right? And then kind of worked her way into fame and stardom. And so it just seems like that is the name of the game forever. It's interesting because with her, whenever I've dropped into her, like I definitely like she feels like she's got like what I would call strong viper energy. And I always just hear the Mm -hmm. words, it's kill or be killed. And so that's why I think like, you know, Beverly Hills is perfect for her because it gives her this outlet of like, you know, what I always sort of felt from her around the Denise thing was kind of like, oh, you made a little mistake. Like you kind of flubbed up here. <laughs> kind of like, all right, you walked into the lion's den and basically offered yourself up as a piece of meat. Like you get what you signed up for. I'm going in for the kill because we need to like get this show going. And, you know, when I say that, though, but like my again, I always sort of feel like the show ultimately is a metaphor for kind of these women's underlying psycho spiritual patterns anyway. So it's mm-hmm. like I kind of have this suspicion with her that it's always kill or be killed for the sake of her career, that it's always kill or be killed for the sake of like whatever she's hustling like and that it does as I talk about it, it feels like a real survival thing of like like my family's on the line. I'm on the line. And. Yeah, I guess the last thing I'd say about it, it's almost like when I feel into like, okay, so who is she on her deeper? If this is like a distorted version of her, who Mm -hmm. is the authentic Rinna? I do get this sense of like, 
this woman who has this destructive energy, but like destruction can also be, there's a higher self to destruction, right? It's like Kali. It's like you tear down so things can be built back up. And it's almost like when I drop in and think about like, who is Lisa Rinna in her essence? It's funny because I see these images of her actually sort of dancing. You know, I, I, I say it's funny because of like these Instagram videos she posts, but like I see her kind of like almost as this, um, sort of archetypal dark, seductive feminine who's like come into my web i'm gonna tear you down so that you can like reemerge whole or, or like i'm gonna seduce you into the darkness to know your own shadow so you can know more about yourself like and i just wonder yeah i wonder in this place where it's like kill or be killed like that she is someone who has a relationship to darkness and just right now it's acting out of self-preservation and survival because that's Mm -hmm. what she learned she had to do rather than this other current of like, there's something I could really integrate and own here that would actually be of service. Yeah. I love it. That really ties well into like own it, baby, that slogan of hers. Yeah. Mm I totally see that. And I think that someone like her operates so well in a business like show business in Hollywood is because that's kind of like the name of the game from day one. And the thing of the thing that I think is true, too, is like she to her credit, she can really be a voice of reason like there. She sees things, you know, and she names Mm -hmm. things and she's insightful and she's perceptive. You know, there is a wisdom to her, actually, that can sometimes come through. And so um it's even more, you know, I just kind of get the sense again, like I always feel like you can kind of get the flavor of the original wound. Like, like with Denise, it feels like, yeah, there was a real message she got around like her wildness and her sexuality. And it's like, Denise, you don't do that. Um, and with, uh, Rena for me, it just feels something there around like really getting cut down, you know, like, like in that place in her now, that's like, it's killer be killed. It's because like someone really kind of fucked with her in some type of way that just, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think I've talked about this before on other podcasts. That's why I feel like she, oh, you didn't see it, but she got so triggered by being thrown under the bus by Vanderpump in the Munchausen season in this way where it felt like she felt so used and discarded. And I always kind of felt like, oh, we're seeing the reason why this is triggering her is that this is an echo of a way in which she felt used and discarded early on. And that's why like ever since then, it's like, there's just this unconscious drive of killer be killed. I'm fighting for my survival. That's how I justify everything that I do. And again, even when I say this, I can feel the pleasure in it. Like part of her loves the game. You know, there's just so much pleasure here for her. So I'm curious, who else are you drawn to in this kind of whole Denise Richards kerfuffle? I was really drawn to, I guess is the wrong word, but just intrigued by like what purpose she was even serving other than to like come for Denise in Rome. But Teddy Mellencamp truly is the epitome of go girl. Give us nothing (laughs) this past season. And like, if you really think about it, she had no storyline at all other than her. I'm having my like fat camp day and you guys can come or not come. It doesn't matter to me. And then that got blown up into some drama, which I just enjoyed seeing people like berate Teddy. And I don't know what shifted because last season I didn't mind her. I was just kind of like, whatever, like she's fine. And like, I like her, but I don't love her and I'm not offended by her. And then this season 
I, from the moment she came on screen, I was like, I hate this person. And like enjoyed watching people talk shit to her, talk down to her. It is true. My cruelty never comes out more vividly with the housewives than when when, when people are dismissing or being mean to Teddy. I uh, know. What is that? I was like, oh, I get it. I get why people don't like her. And I guess it is just because she brings absolutely nothing to the table. There is. There's a quality to her that it's definitely fun to watch it get shut down. Yeah. I think that like from what little I know about her background or whatever, like was she kind of like a wild child or she was overweight or something? And then she realized it's almost like she was one way. And then she realized in order to like exist in this world that I was born into, I actually have to be this way. So she like got really restrictive and like lost all this weight. Mm -hmm. And now is like, this is the way that like, like I crack the code. This is the way like it's meant to be. And if you follow what I do, then you can do it too. But it's like, it's like she shut down her own individuality and like interesting qualities in order to like fit in, do what she thought would be like fitting in. But I guess that might be like why it bumps up against everyone. Cause it's just like, you're not actually like this. And then also what I was really loving, which I'm pissed that we didn't get to see on the show was like when her app or like the inner workings of her like fitness lifestyle stuff came to the surface of how she just like has these coaches that I guess like verbally berate you over text and like tell you to follow like a restrictive diet of like lettuce cups and then like call you a fat ass if you can't do it which I was like that makes so much sense like that's what Teddy is doing to herself Mm -hmm. from day one yeah, and I think what's so interesting about it, it's like, I, again, I'm always sort of looking at like the deeper pattern underneath the specific thing. And so what mm-hmm. I'm always drawn to with Teddy is the fact that she's, and it's, I think this speaks in part to what you're saying too. It's like she's literally made a career out of holding women accountable. I always just get this sense with her about like, that is a lot of what's driving her is about holding the woman accountable. I have to imagine something to do with like inner conflict around her mother. Like I need to hold women accountable for what they've done. Cause then if you think about like, you look at like her and sort of the conflict that's followed her. Like even if you go back to puppy gate, right? Her involvement in that originally was about punishing and shaming Dorit and, you know, holding Dorit accountable for what she did. And then it turned right when she wanted to hold Lisa Vanderpump accountable. And there's just always that charge in her about like, you've got to answer for what you did. And so I do always just think it's fascinating that she's literally built a career out of holding women accountable for like their words and their actions. But don't you think that that's just reflective of like how she treats herself on a day-to-day basis? Like at the end of it, the most, the person that she's constantly writing and holding accountable for all their mistakes is her. Yeah. But to me, it's almost like another wrinkle in the like, Mm -hmm. you know, in the hologram. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've felt around her a bit, just kind of like, just seeing what I can pick up on. I kind of almost get this sense of like, like Teddy as this like daddy's girl who got a lot of sort of, you know, attention from dad and loved it and almost like mom felt 
competitive or in some way resented her for it. And then it's like she got sort of messages about something being wrong in her own energy and kind of feeling like split from mom in that place. And then sort of internalizing that, that there's something wrong with her and her loving Mm -hmm. energy. And so that she has to like compartmentalize it. But then also sort of feeling this sort of rage around the woman who sort of comes in and cuts her off from herself. Um, so, I, I mean, I just sort of offer this as like these are kind of themes that I've felt like possibly playing in the fringes as we discuss kind of like her relationship to femin- like women, her own femininity, her own womanhood. That all feels at play here. I just think it's like Teddy kind of conformed to, I think, what she thinks as like being the ideal woman means and looks like but I think it you would see a different interpretation of that were she not born into like a famous family and I when you say that I think what's so interesting about it is that she's also at odds with it right because I mean there's a lot I mean well you didn't see her first season but like there was a lot of like she came on kind of being like, I'm the anti-glitz. I'm the anti-glam. There's been a lot of conversation about how she's sort of uncomfortable being a girly girl. There's a lot of conversation about her sort of manly walk. I always think it's so interesting. Her name's literally Teddy, which is traditionally a boy's name. So there's mm-hmm. always kind of been this motif and theme for me with her about somehow being at odds with her own femininity. And it's like, as I'm listening to you speak, it almost feels like there's like a few different layers. It's like, there's who Teddy would actually be if she had just been allowed to kind of blossom on her own, right? And I think there was like a wound there. But then layered on top of that, it's almost like who she hears she's supposed to be as a woman from like society and culture and family. And it feels like there's a wound there. It feels like she's just torn now between so many different images that she doesn't even know where she falls in all of this and that it's a source of major rage and agitation. Yeah. Cause she's pretty glammed out now. Like she seems on a, like she seems like she's done the hair and makeup thing. That's what's so weird. So when she first came on the show, she was very much like, you know, this was part of what was so annoying about her. And yeah. I guess maybe we are starting to identify what it is. It's the same kind of thing when she came on at the beginning of the season was like, I don't care if you guys come when clearly she cared, but she cares. Oh yeah. You don't start a business about like weight loss and like make that a huge part of your identity. If you're not deeply invested in what you look like. Well also, but like saying to the women, I don't care if you come. It's Mm -hmm. like to even put that out. It's like you, you are doing the thing that you were accusing Denise of later in the season. Like you're trying to pretend that you're being casual about this when in reality you aren't like you do care. So stop trying to pretend that you don't care. But yeah, I think similarly when she first came onto the show, she was just missed. Like I just, you know, I'm not into the whole glam thing. I'm not comfortable with that kind of stuff. And that was kind of like the part she played and it felt kind of disingenuous. And actually, you know, she and Erica really, but butted heads her first season. Mm-hmm. And I always felt it was because they were seeing something of like they were seeing their disowned selves in each other. So Erica was hugely triggered by Teddy's kind of like, I'm just like a, you know, a lost lamb in the woods, like amongst wolves. And like Erica couldn't stand that sort of posture of helplessness. And then Mm -hmm. Teddy was triggered by Erica's kind of like 
diva, basically. And I yeah. always felt like they are like Erica is externalizing Teddy's disowned diva. And Teddy is externalizing Erica's disowned kind of place of helplessness and vulnerability. But this is, that's all a digression. To come back, you know, Teddy kind of came in being like, I'm just this lost little lamb and I don't do glam. But then it's like she came back and suddenly she'd gotten stylist. You know, she's doing the hair. She's doing the makeup. And it's just weird because it's kind of like what I was saying before. Either way, it never feels right. It's like when she's sitting there posturing as like, the outsider, it's like something about mm-hmm. this feels affected. But also now when you're doing this glam thing, this also feels affected too. And it's sort of like you're swinging from one affectation to another. And it's just like, where are you, where is the real Teddy here? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I want you I have to. I have no idea where the real Teddy is. <laughs> I want your answer. Well, who is the real Teddy? Should I drop I think in? The real Teddy, yeah, is like probably. Like a girl that would live in like Arizona or something like that. That's what I would say. I'm seeing like when I drop into the real Teddy, I see someone who, who honestly, this, oh, this makes total sense, has both strong, what I would call feminine and masculine energy. And I do, I see her like on the land, like not in Beverly Hills, living mm-hmm. on a ranch, like cowgirl sexy. You know, like unpretentious, like a pair of jeans that fit great, like a button down work shirt that fits great. She's dealing with horses. She's like in the earth, but she looks good doing it. And it just Mm -hmm. feels like it's this middle ground between like she's in her strength and her self-possession of like, yeah, like I'm kind of an A-type personality. I'm running the household. I'm strong. And I'm also this, you know, sexy blonde woman who looks good in a pair of tight jeans. And now I'm getting on my horse, you know, and that she's with a guy who's kind of maybe equally like also sort of in his masculine and feminine energy. Like it just feels like this middle ground as opposed to these different parts she plays, almost like a kid playing dress up. Totally. I see that too. I'm like feeling like a ranch in Flagstaff could really be like a great solution for Teddy. Totally. And then at the end of the night, they like crack open a like Coors, you know, and like sit on the porch. They get the fire going. Yeah. Or like sit on the porch, watch the sunset, maybe go for a sunset ride. Yeah. I do feel like in terms of her skin in this game of the season, for me, kind of when I tracked back, it felt like where she got very involved sort of was that moment, particularly at the Santa Barbara trip where Denise just kind of finally shut things down and was like, I'm not going to talk about this anymore. It felt like that was the moment where suddenly Teddy was like, hey, you are judging us and you're not owning it and you're trying to control the narrative. And when I drop into it for her, I really think a lot of this has to do with Teddy's awareness of how she was perceived, like coming onto the show, that she was labeled a control freak, that she was labeled judgmental. And I think the way that that hit her and hurt her and then seeing like someone, Denise, kind of breeze in the next season, be a fan favorite, be celebrated. Like, I think there's sort of a voice in Teddy of like, hey, this isn't fucking fair that like she comes on like Mm -hmm. she just has this great first season. Everyone loves her. And then in that place of kind of resentment, competition and jealousy, when she starts to see like, wait a second. It's a lie. Like, you you know, I'm labeled the rigid judgmental one. You're labeled like the easy breezy casual one. Everyone loves you. It's not fair. And again, here's that voice again. I'm going to hold you accountable. Like you are judgmental too. You are controlling too. And I need to expose this and sort of make you pay for it. And I think 
it's interesting because it's again another thing that to me is ultimately in a lot of ways about the show itself. Yeah, totally. I agree with that. I'm curious as someone who's sort of popping back in last season and as someone who seemed to kind of enjoy this past these past two seasons, where are you in terms of Erica? Um, I like her. I'm not like I think she brings a lot of like glamour to the show. And did you have any thoughts just about her reaction to the Denise situation? What was her reaction? She was pretty pissed. I mean, she got into it with Aaron. Oh, she was pissed. Yeah, oh yeah, she got into it with Aaron. The whole Aaron thing was really just the way that Denise like really wouldn't let him kind of be paraded in front of the women for very long. Like, because I think Denise knows that Aaron will shoot himself in the foot or something like he truly. I I could have gone for way more Aaron because he was like a scary force and like a dark force. I don't see him as like a beacon of light (laughs) do you i mean i don't see him i'm even like how like i don't understand i don't even see him as like paternal necessarily i think i rewatched the barbecue scene last night and Mm -hmm. what i got off because i do sense him i've tended to sense him as someone who really like he's obviously he's got this strong powerful body um, I've kind of always sensed him as like a guy who's got a lot of strong, powerful, masculine energy that he feels like he's got to tame and that it's really important for him to be like a good guy, like a good stepfather, a good husband. I'm a good guy. Um, mm-hmm. And I know some people were kind of like, but how do you square that with like how he behaved at the barbecue? And when I was rewatching it, it's almost like what I felt off him was kind of like in this place where I'm the good guy and I'm here for Denise and I'm a good you know, husband and stepfather. This is my moment to shine where I'm going to come in and protect her and defend her. And I almost feel like when Denise then started to kind of like boss him around, it's almost like she butted. Like on the one hand, she is the vehicle for this place where he wants to be like the good knight in shining armor. But then when she cuts him off there... It's almost like he's like bumping up. It's like, it's almost like the voice I hear is like, no, 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 you don't get it. Like this is, this is, this is the role I'm supposed to play. Like this is what I'm supposed to do. You're kind of stepping on my toes here. And so then that triggered like the place where he's controlling and he's got mm-hmm. this image that he's managing. Suddenly the very woman <laughs> that like he's, he's sort of like using to project that image is getting in the way of the image. And I think that's sort of why we saw him kind of really like getting pissed at her because it's like this place where he was getting thwarted in a way. Yeah, totally. And then has to like hold on, hold on to it for like all it's worth or is like when he got like kind of threatening with her or whatever. Yeah. And it makes sense because I think, I do think there's a way he emasculates himself. I think he cuts off his own strong energy. And so I would imagine, especially again, the way he's in this household of women and the way that he really kind of shows up for them. I have to imagine something about this was perhaps learned from a woman of like, I've got to keep my energy down for the sake of like women and their safety and their comfort. So if there is something in him that unconsciously has felt, like if he emasculates himself now because he got emasculated by a woman, I can imagine that when Denise comes in, you know, who, again, is the woman he's meant to be protecting and she shuts yeah. it down, it might trigger something very young and old in him. And that's where we see him being like, I am going to crush 
your hand. It's funny because, you know, the women, you know, a lot of people were like, oh my God, it's abusive. I, I honestly, like the energy behind it to me didn't feel particularly scary. And when I actually say it right now, it almost feels like a five-year-old. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm going to crush your hand, mom. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's kind of more what it felt like to me. But I don't know. Did you feel it was like dark and abusive? It felt that way, just the way that he was edited, I think. And like the way that scene was edited, it probably came across like that. Like I just, I was just like, something is off about him. Mm-hmm. And maybe it is he's just shoving, like he's so hyper masculine that he, it is what you're saying, where it's like he feels like he needs to temper that. But it would be okay if he just like ran naked through the woods and like chopped down a tree. That's how I feel. I feel like that's that's who. Yeah, exactly. And maybe I'm wrong. He needs to be outside doing like hardcore physical labor to like get all of that out of his system. I mean, instead of like integrated into like a Hollywood family. Yeah, I mean, and that, what you just said. I mean, that's how I feel about Jax too. I just I feel like there's some of these men where it's like you just need to be like you need to be to be doing things that like are embodied and like physicalize and direct your energy because you've got a lot of strong energy. And if you're not moving it through your system in some way, yeah, I do think it starts to get thwarted and build up. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe I'm not, maybe I should be taking more seriously, like the depth of his rage. And maybe it is, I guess, I guess the place in me that feels like he's so intent on being a good guy. I'm just like, I don't think he's ever going to actually, do anything but maybe that's me looking at it through rose-colored glasses yeah i mean his whole profession is what like healing right Mm -hmm. yeah so it would be a real dichotomy if he was like abuse like abusive but then hiding that in order to have this career as a healer he probably is just like an intense like intense about his career and then like you say fighting that energy but in fighting it it comes across as like more intense than it actually is but i will say i mean i think those dichotomies certainly do exist um Mm -hmm. i feel like maybe part of it too is it's just hard for me to imagine like denise just feels like she's so calling the shots that it's hard for me to imagine her in like an abusive relationship but again you know maybe that's my naivete like i'm not an expert in these dynamics all right well let me ask you final verdict on this season, I mean, I feel like we've kind of explored. I mean, we didn't even get into the Brandy Glanville of it all and the sex rumors and the. Oh my God! Yeah, is Brandy making a play to come back onto the show? I think that's always in the back of her mind. My vibe on Brandy, honestly, is I think she really gets hurt by these people. Like, I think she, I think there's something so vulnerable about her. And I, you know, I do believe that Denise, like, kind of whatever they did, whether they slept together, fooled around, and I do believe Denise then cut her off because you know we see Denise shut things mm-hmm. down, just like Lisa Vanderbump kind of like withdrew from her. And I think Brandy just gets so hurt and feels so rejected and then she just goes scorched earth and um Mm -hmm. there's just something in her that wants to make people pay it's like you're not i mean it's total glenn close energy from like i will not be ignored you're not going to get away with this so i think you know in the place where multiple things can be true at once i don't know that she had like a calculated agenda to get back on the show but i think in the place where you know, she, you know, had an axe to grind and things to say, and she was deeply, deeply, deeply hurt. And also, hey, there's this opportunity to kind of play into the dynamics to the show. It kind of felt like maybe it was like a perfect storm for her. Yeah. Yeah. She has like a, 
she wants justice, but she, the way she goes about getting it is like can be really entertaining, but then also doesn't get her the kind of justice that she's seeking. I'm willing to go on record at this point and say that for me, Brandy Glanville's crossed the line into like, I don't think I enjoy watching what you bring anymore. Like, it just feels like yeah. I'm watching someone a la Kelly Dodd on OC, a la like Dorinda. Like, I just feel like I'm watching someone who's mentally unwell. And this is just, I don't know what that line is for me, but she's on the other side of the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had a very like unwell vibe mm-hmm. this season, particularly. But in the place where, again, like I'm always just looking at the sort of the deeper patterns, it is so fascinating to me that like because what what's crazy about this season, and again, kind of looking at it from a storytelling perspective, the sex stuff really had nothing to do with anything. It was like this separate plot element that like really was only tangentially related to what the women's issues with Denise were in the first place. So the fact that this even came to the surface in the way that it did. As someone who's just kind of holding space for Denise, I'm just like, it's so fascinating that this, like, again, this sort of salacious sexuality came to bite you in the ass when it really had no place on the show. Well, and this was part of my question in the first place of just, like, what was this season about? It, I, it was always so hard for me to understand what was the big deal? Like, why was this being trotted out? I mean, I guess ostensibly what they were saying is, Denise is claiming she's not close with Brandy, a.k.a. that she didn't talk bad about the other women. So we're bringing this up because this proves you were actually close with Brandy, a.k.a. you did actually talk about us, which means you're lying now. So really what we're claiming this is about is that you said mean things about us behind your back and you're not owning it. I mean, is that what the crux of all this was? I think it was like... You presented as this like openly sexual, like adventurous person. And then this season came around and you were being very prudish and judgmental when we kind of met you at that level. And then we felt judged and you did not like you denied that you even were this kind of sexy person or like identified a boundary that still to this day doesn't make that much sense around like your sexuality and sexual preferences. And then we find out that you have had like a threesome with this person or not even a threesome, but you like hooked up with this other person, but then are potentially we're trying to hide it from your husband. So like, how are you a liar are you, where where's the honesty here and then on top of that like you talked shit about all of us and then are saying that you're not even close with this person when we have receipts to prove that you are so you're just like a liar and a hypocrite mm-hmm. but she'll never own that so it's like the the conversation the fight can't go anywhere because she won't even give she won't even give up like any part of it she won't say, yeah, I fucked Brandy or like, yeah, I didn't want my husband to find out or yeah, I talked shit about you guys. To her. Like, it's like if she had just said one of those things, then it would have given it. I think it would have changed the outcome, but she didn't admit to any of that. So it was just like, oh, you're kind of a liar and 
you're crazy a little bit as well. So basically what we have here, you know, is so we essentially have a woman, Denise, who's just truly shut down, a control freak, a horrible liar, you know, won't Mm -hmm. take responsibility for herself. And then a group of women who are like, rather than just having kind of a normal sane response of like, okay, like, like, like. This is what it is. Let's just like walk away. Like we know who she is now. Instead become like intent on like nailing her to the wall. And I mean, I guess that's the season in a nutshell. But then also realizing that they can't nail her to the wall because she has more bargaining power than any of them because she's an actual movie star and can like leave at any time or like call the shots. Yeah, it was like a reckoning of like how accountable can this person be held they but, don't even play by our rules ultimately but then and then also the question that i've had this whole time it's like why do they care about nailing her to the wall in the first place you know and it's like i mean i think we've identified i think it is different actually for each woman but like i think you know lisa renna kind of producing the show it's killer be killed um who teddy you know i feel like there was a strong dose of like i want to hold you accountable for actually being controlling and judgmental because i'm jealous and resentful um, you know, I think with Erica, there was a, I mean, we didn't go deeply into this, but I think she felt really set up. Like, and I think there's something about being set up for Erica, like that mm-hmm. strikes like a really core wound in her. Um, and then I guess for Kyle, I mean, I've always posited that for Kyle, everything goes back. <laughs> it sounds so ridiculous to say, but to, everything goes back to Teddy's event. And I think that like she was so triggered by Dorit being late because Dorit had boundaries. And I think that boundaries trigger Kyle because she grew up in a situation where she was not allowed to have boundaries. And I think Mm -hmm. in the place where she's not allowed to have boundaries, she tells herself a story. I'm a good mom. I'm a good friend. I'm a good employee. This is what you have to do. So I think when Dorit comes in and sort of breezes through, it just triggers something so deep in Kyle and then I think like Kyle's good girl, basically. And then I think mm-hmm. when Denise comes in, it's like, God, Kyle, like, what's the big deal? Who cares? I think for Kyle, that really hits her in this place of like, you know, in this place where she's like, I'm being a good girl. See me, like, see me. It makes her so yeah. angry. It's like, and then I think for Kyle, it becomes, I'm going to make you pay for not seeing me. And I just mm-hmm. felt that all season that basically Kyle wanted to make Denise Richards pay maybe i'm crazy i don't know did you have like theories no i think that 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 tracks and i think like kyle takes pleasure in like the humiliation of others where she can get it when she's not hell-bent on just humiliating herself over and over (laughs) (laughs) subconsciously where do you land on kyle just in general i'm curious i want her to stay on the show i enjoy watching her but I also don't like trust her. I've been really ambivalent about her over the years. I feel like she comes from a background of actual like emotional richness and depth and horrors. Like when you think about her childhood and that part of her, I find intriguing. And it's also a place where I actually have a lot of compassion for her. But I feel like, so whenever we're in the Kim Richards of it all, the family dynamic of it all, like I'm kind of all aboard the Kyle train. But I think the problem with her is that she got, it feels to me like she got really stunted around like junior high and high school. And it feels like 
that was almost the dynamic of their household of like collusion, social politics, who's on whose side, which is why I think she gets such a charge out of like her special friendship with Teddy. And so to Mm -hmm. me, it's kind of like when she's not in the thick of the family drama and she's just sort of like, you know, at sea in her life, she feels so kind of like high school girlish to me that I'm just like, this is so boring and shallow and uninteresting and you're so emotionally immature. And that's the place where I'm like, I could like have you off my screen forever. But then it's like, when the family comes back into it, that's where I'm like, oh shit, no, like let's, you know, I want Kyle here. I want this. Um, So there's that yeah. split in her. It's a good mixture. That I think they've realized that they need to have like more than one Richard sister on the show to kind of justify Kyle's existence. Kim was so good for the show. Kim was so good. I hope she comes back. I would love if Kathy came on the show which i think was a rumor i don't know if that's actually happening i heard she's coming on as a friend yeah i think the more richard sisters the better because they will enact their own totem pole whether we like it or not because that's just like their nature with each other god if we got all three of them at one time (sighs) that's explosive i guess my last question would be like are we arriving at a place in these different Housewives franchises where what is really needed in order to recapture the original magic is like just starting over with like different casts? Maybe, but I don't even know how you do that at this point. Like, I don't think you could recast Real Housewives of New York. Like, I think that's so... uh, When I think of Housewives of New York, like I think of Luann and like Ramona and... I think of like Sonia and Harry Dubin and like it just I can't imagine a world where that isn't somehow peppered into the mix. But you could do like Real Housewives of Albany. Well, I was going to say, could you ever envision a world where there's a so like Real Housewives of New York is still going and then they create a second Real Housewives of New York cast? Yeah, they could do Real Housewives of like downtown or something like that and have like. I mean, I think that they should be doing way more housewives and way more like niche zones. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm glad they're, I mean, they're fin- doing Salt Lake City. Yeah, which I'm so which excited, I'm about. excited about. Yeah. When does that start? That starts soon. soon. I think November. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like that is interesting to me. I would love more Southern housewives. I thought that they should have done a Real Housewives of Oklahoma City. Yeah. Instead, they did that like Sweet Home Oklahoma show, which I never really watched. But I always wanted a um like a Florida, not Miami, like a Florida, like a Tampa or an Orlando or something like Tampa that. Tampa would be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fort Lauderdale. Oh, that'd be good. I'm glad that they are finally embracing like a more niche city like Salt Lake City because that's where I've wanted them to go. Or even like, like I'd be interested in like a Housewives of Denver or something like that. Or like I love Denver. I would love um, Chicago. I know isn't married. Does Married to Medicine take place in Chicago? I don't know. No. I think it's Atlanta. I think there's an Atlanta one. There's an LA one. There was one show that took place in Chicago, but I would love like, yeah, like a Midwestern mm-hmm. Ohio, I think could be really rich. Yeah. Like any place that's like, it's not super like urban, but I mean, again, Salt Lake city fits this bill, like, but is kind of surprisingly like, no, there's a city there and there's like, 
you know, people who live in that city and like, let's, cause that's mm-hmm. my thing. You know, I think a lot of people always discount Orange County and they're like, Oh, I don't want to watch Orange County because I don't like Orange County. And for me, I was always like, no, Orange County is my favorite franchise because I've never lived and I never <laughs> will live in Orange County. Like I, I grew up on the East coast. I live in Los Angeles. Like I want to see the worlds that I don't know about that's what's interesting to me as a viewer so kind of anything maybe that's something one day you can channel you can channel um the future of the real housewives it's it's permutations going forward and sort of when and where it will all come to an end and see what your creative psychic intuition reveals to you honestly i'm i'm apprehensive and slash worried that it's like we're all hurtling towards that end a lot faster than we think we are. I know. I worry about it too. Like, I think that in the next five years we could reach the end of like this era of reality television. Well, we just have to maintain hope. It will usher in a new, a new era. era. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, to kind of, conclude i would say i'm gonna claim for myself that when i look back on the season of the real housewives of beverly hills i think i think that beverly hills um is suffering from a a horizontal cast of actresses who have too much Mm -hmm. to lose who are too controlled and as a result we are kind of getting season after season that um is very much about the mechanics of the show. It's very much about like narratives that want to be molded. And even though I do think the show still stays interesting because of like the milieu and the personalities and what's at stake, I'm declaring for myself that I do think Beverly Hills is in a bit of a state of emergency. Okay. This is the last thing I'll say. It's just so interesting to me that it, it really feels like it is in this bind because it's doing well in the ratings too, you know? And that's what I'm saying. And then you've got these cast members who are mainstays of the cast. And so it's like, on the one hand, a lot of viewers are really frustrated and like sort of over it and want to shake up. But on the other hand, Bravo has no real impetus to shake it up. And so it's just, it's just so fascinating to me that it just feels like, the show itself is in a bind and then season after season, whether it's like Lisa Vanderpump, like fleeing the scene or Denise Richards fleeing the scene season after season, the cast itself feels like it's a, it's in a bind and the show has just sort of been stuck in this place of paralysis for seasons. I, I just find it fascinating. Yeah, it should be. It would be in the network's best interest, I think, to figure out what the viewers need instead of just giving them what they want and like taking a risk. And because Bravo has been so good at doing that, like that was like the whole impetus of housewives in the first place. So I don't know. I hope that they get on it and stop resting on their laurels and resting on the knowledge that will, some of us will always watch (laughs) these shows no matter what happens. Oh my God. I'm such a part of the problem. Mm-hmm. We all are. It's okay, though. We're all in it together. Lara, it has been such a pleasure having you here to lend your insight and your hot takes. Um, any last thoughts on Beverly Hills before we say goodbye to you? I agree with our totem pole theory. I think we like formalized a really good 
I think we started out with a hypothesis that we then formed into a theory that can be applied for any Bravo execs that happen to be listening. Take that into account. And uh, I so enjoyed coming on your podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you for being here. Where should people find you if they want to know and hear more as they should? You can find me on social media at Lars Marie, and then you can find my podcast that is releasing new episodes every Thursday right now. It's Sexy Unique Podcast um, across all podcasting platforms, and there's 11 different seasons for you to choose from. Whatever your journey is, you can listen to me talk about gallery girls you can listen to me talk about rock of love or vanderpump rules like there's a lot of different places that we go and i'll just say the reason why one of the reasons why i love your podcast so much is that it's not only genuinely laugh out loud funny but you truly you are not afraid to take these shows seriously you treat them with the seriousness that i feel they deserve and uh you are not afraid of deep critical thinking um, applied to reality television. Thank you. I think it's a mirror for our time and it's like something that we should be taking very seriously. Oh, I, I mean, I know we're at the end. I have so much to say about that. So maybe that can just be saved for another day. But yes, I mean, look, <laughs> this is this is what our culture is producing. So by virtue of its existence, it is a reflection of something in us. And by virtue of that, we should be taking it seriously. And yeah. Uh, reality TV is literally why we have the president we have right now. And my other thing too, is just like, if television, if scripted television had been consistently great, there wouldn't have been the space for reality TV to emerge Mm -hmm. as it has now. And I don't think it's a coincidence that reality TV preceded the golden age of television. You know, I think there's a real kind of yin and yang to like, Reality TV kind of stepped up scripted TV's game. Totally. I agree with that 100%. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining me today. I can't wait to see you next time. Bye. 